right. Well, welcome back to the pew. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for joining us for this extra bonus episode of Just a Guy in the Pew. As you know, we've been doing these lately. We've been bringing on some of our favorite priests and and just uh, speakers and presenters in the church, our brothers and sisters in the church. And today is no different. Um, We have the distinct honor of bringing on a friend of mine, Father John Ricardo. And before I bring him up, I just want to tell you a little bit about him. I, I met Father John here in Memphis a few times a couple of years ago and have had just a chance to be around him and what he's doing in his ministry. And, uh, you know, Father just has a heart for the Lord and, and for a renewal of uh, of people's hearts and a call back to the Lord. And so we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about him. You know, Father John is a priest in the Archdiocese of Detroit. He's the executive director of Acts 29, which we'll talk about here in a few minutes. He's the host of You Were Born for This podcast, which is really good. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I suggest you check that out. And he also is the author of a new book called Rescued, the Unexpected and Extraordinary News of the Gospel. So without further ado, I want to bring up my friend, Father John Ricardo. Father, how are you? Hey, brother. I'm great, man. How about you? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. You're looking good. <laughs> I'm feeling fine. Yeah, I don't have that radiant smile like you do. But oh, yeah, thank you. Right. <laughs> well, Your weather Father... looks a little warmer in Memphis. Oh, man, it wasn't a week or so ago. I'll tell you what, we had what they call a snowmageddon. I think uh, our mutual friend, uh, Mike Bishop, left to go to Colorado to get out of what was happening here. But oh, wow. <laughs> we had 15 inches of snow, which you're probably going to laugh at that. But in Memphis, if you have a snow flurry, there's no milk, there's no bread, the city shuts down. So oh, we man. had days and days of snow and, and school closures. The kids were out for a week. So you know, we're not built for all that down here, but... Uh, it's probably more snow in, in two days than I've seen in my entire life of living here. So, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. No, 15 inches is a lot for Detroit. Trust me. That's, uh, we don't get a ton, but wow. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, it's good. We had, you know, the, the city had some water mains bus. It's sort of like what was going on in Texas, but nowhere near the, the yeah. massive scale of that. But the Lord yeah. brings us through everything, as you know. So uh, we're all Amen. good here now. Well, Father, I wanted to talk to you. First of all, it's been a while since we've been able to catch up, and I know you're doing all these amazing things. You've got the podcast going now. You just had this book come out. Uh, you're 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 doing something that was. I remember thinking it was so incredible when I heard about it when you left to start Acts 29 that your Archbishop gave you that. Uh, I hope I'm calling this right, but a four year reprieve from uh, from basically running a parish, from being a, a pastor in a parish, mm-hmm. and it's allowed you to go out and do some of the things you're doing now. This convocations for priests and things like that and going out and doing the the training you're doing with Acts uh, with Acts 29 could you tell us a little bit about that yeah first so pop quiz what happens in Acts 29 what happens that's where we yeah, continue and, on the work right, of Paul and the, and the apostles right. yeah so like people that's are right. like hey I was looking at my bible and there is no 29 chapter of Acts. <laughs> it's like it's like no there is you're in it yeah. So that's the whole point, right? So it's not to—it's not intended to be a cute name. It's actually intended to make a point that uh, the mm-hmm. same Holy Spirit who wrote, quote unquote, the chapters of the early church is still wanting to write through your life and mine right now. You know, all of yeah. us, each each and every one of us. So uh, our missions re—it's—it um, continues to evolve just because we're one of the ways to think of us is we're like a startup, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're we're five and a half people. Yeah, if you can have half a person, but uh, <laughs> and uh, so we're kind of like somewhere between itinerant missionaries and um, reformers, which is really dangerous because anytime you talk about doing reformation in the church, the first person who needs to get reformed is me. Um, mm-hmm. Painfully aware of that, right? But we feel <laughs> like the Lord's called us to um, to unleash the gospel, 
mm-hmm. um, so as to pour into both clergy and then lay leaders. So bishops, priests, deacons, seminarians, lay leaders uh, in the in a parish setting, so as to reach the lost. Um, but especially because of the fact that um, at least church speaking. So I'm 25 mm-hmm. years ordained come May. Uh, most of us were trained for a different era. Okay. So the church has, the church has, um, there's a great book out there called From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. It's about 110 pages. Can't encourage people to read it enough. Okay. And what he does is he talks about how um, the church has existed in these two different eras in her history. One era was the way he defines it. So these terms mean different things to different people, but the way he defines it in a Christendom era um, the culture's uh, worldview, like how people see things, you know, entertainment, mm-hmm. politics, law, uh, education, uh, you know, everything is formed by a Christian worldview. And when you live in that kind of worldview, like the currents, you know, you, if you're a dad, the currents just move me along. It's kind of easy to be a dad. Like yeah. I'm getting support from the culture around me. Mm-hmm. Right. And all you really have to do is maintenance. Sure. In an apostolic era. The worldview, how people how people see the world, um, is either ignorant of or hostile to the gospel. And now it's kind of like raising a family, the way the author puts it. It's kind of like building a house in the middle of a hurricane. Wow. Yeah. And all the currents going against you. And the great temptation in that era is cowardice because it's hard to be a Christian. Well, the reason I say all that is because... Most of us uh, who are priests and certainly bishops, we were trained for a Christendom era. Mm. And so we've shifted eras. So it'd be kind of like going into a war. Like, why do we why do we defeat the British in the Revolutionary War? Because they had never encountered an army that hid Immersive, yeah. <laughs> and that shot and that shot officers. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were used to people just standing in line and then they would come up and then they wouldn't <laughs> shoot the officers to keep, you know, be nice to those people. So we have to make sure that we're not fighting the last war in the church. So we're trying to train guys and, you know, like war imagery can freak some people out. The enemy is Satan. It's not some other, you know, gender, political party or race. Sure. Um, but we were trained for something different. So our work is really to try to pour into bishops and priests to like retool the church so as to reach the people who don't yet know Jesus because without him, there is no hope. Right. So that's our work. That's the easiest way to describe it. Well, and I, I remember, you know, you touching on some of this in a conversation you and I had about, I remember you saying this is in everything we're going to talk about here with this rescued and the unleashing of the gospel. I remember you saying to me, John, I was a priest for 23 years before I got where we need to go, where I understand where the Lord is trying to, to lead us. And I remember thinking, wow, what a powerful statement for a priest to say, you know, is, is I've been doing this for so long and now I'm getting it. And one of the things I love about you is, you know, as a, as a former Baptist that's come into the Catholic church in the last 15 years, um, you know, it seemed very devoid of relationship when I first came in, um, in relationship with each other in ways, you know, the fellowship within person to person, but a lot of times the connection to a relationship with Jesus Oftentimes in the Catholic Church, you hear, well, that's a that's a Protestant thing, right? The whole relationship with Jesus thing. And so we, you know, we sort of have pushed that off. And what I love about what you're doing is you're inviting people back into, as you say, the love story, 
right? This, this, this salvation story that really should be at the heart of our understanding of the faith and our relationship with Christ. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, let me say something first. So for sure. me, so I grew up in an ecumenical home. So mm-hmm. my mom was Methodist. My dad was Catholic. I had three older sisters. They became evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And I had a brother who was Catholic. And so when I went to seminary, like I knew Jesus. I didn't know the church. I had to learn mm. the church, actually. It was kind of sure. different for me. Um, and that was a huge help. So I'm sure that's probably, um, I know it's impacted the way I live and think and preach and whatever, but um, like, the Bible came from the church, you know, so like, (laughs) I want the book back. Um, (laughs) I love my brother. That's not a slight of my Protestant brothers and sisters. I got lots of friends who are pastors who are Catholic, but it's like, you know, like this is my, this is what my Bible looks like. You know, I mean, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a mess, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's well used. It's written up. It's yeah. It's not a family heirloom, you know? So the, the, the point maybe to make right now, maybe we can talk about it is, um, what I've become convinced of is I, I just don't think most Catholics have ever really heard the gospel. Mm. And, and I, I don't think, I think our age right now, forget most Catholics. I don't think most Protestants have either. I don't, and I know the world hasn't. Sure. And um, more than any time in my life, what's most necessary right now is people need to hear the story. And the story is the gospel. And I'm not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I'm talking about the gospel, the way Paul talks about it when Paul says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And that's what's desperately needed right now. And, and when he says mm-hmm. power, the word he uses in Greek is the word from which we get the word dynamite. Mm. So in other words, the story, the gospel, the message of what God has done for us in Jesus is not news. It's explosive, life-changing news, you know? So the, the image for me would be if you and I were living in, um, in Normandy mm-hmm. on June 7th, 1944, and for four years we'd been held hostage to a tyrannical dictator and our family had been killed and other people in concentration camps. and There was no hope for our country. And, you know, the paper boy throws in the paper and, I open it up and you're reading a cup of coffee and you go, Hey, what happened yesterday? And I go, well, looks like the allies landed. <laughs> I wouldn't read it like that. Yeah. Right. I mean, not a chance. I mean, like somebody's come to fight. Yeah. Somebody's come to rescue us. Right. I mean, this is not ordinary news and the gospel is infinitely better than the announcement on the news on June 7th, 1944, than the Allies had landed. Yeah. And Pope John Paul, in a, in a great uh, letter that he wrote, he says this, when the gospel is proclaimed, what's supposed to happen, when it's proclaimed ardently, is a person is gradually overwhelmed, mm. and they make a decision to surrender their whole lives to Jesus by faith. And so as a priest, I would say, if I stood up at a pulpit on a Sunday, on any, Friday, on any given Sunday in any parish and said, quick show of hands, how many people here have been overwhelmed by the gospel? I'd be going. Yeah. Uh, and then if I were to say, how many people here have made a decision to entrust their whole lives to Jesus by faith? 
be like, you know, Bueller, anybody else? <laughs> like, mm? Cause, yeah. and, and the reason is they've never heard it. We, in, in the church, you know, in the Catholic church, we use the lectionary, which is a great mm-hmm. gift, if you know the Bible. Sure. But if you don't know the Bible, then you don't understand oftentimes what these readings have to do with each other, and you don't understand the story. And so nothing makes sense until you know the story. Morality doesn't make sense Mm. until you know the story. So at the heart of our work that we do in our ministry is preach the gospel first to priests so they can just kind of soak once again in the lordship of Jesus Mm -hmm. uh, and to bishops. Uh, and then to their kind of key leaders and then to anybody we can afterwards. And that's the whole point of the book. Well, is to I break it you, open. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've thought about that oftentimes, you know, I, I go to daily mass every day, but Saturday try to, unless something comes up, not bragging on that. Just if it's a fact. And there's not a lot of people in there. You know, if it's, if it's not a school mass for my kids, there might be three or four other people right. in there. And I've thought about that often where you're like, man, if you're just going to church on Sunday, and that's all you're hearing, then you're getting these small portions, like you said, that don't make sense. And and how do you ever know, like, how do you read it in context of not just what am, what am I hearing right now, but what happened before? What happened after this? How do they go together? You're making such a good point there. And, you know, if you're not in the scripture every day, reading it and, and learning it, then then you're always going to kind of not know what's going on. So, Let's talk about that for a second. What is the story? And I know that's a loaded question and <laughs> takes a lot of time, but yeah. what is the story? So I can do it in five minutes, but I mean, um, okay. so here's, so technically speaking, the gospel, the, when Paul says that, mm-hmm. he's talking about something that we might call the kerygma, which sounds like, what sure. the heck does that mean? It's a Greek word, which means proclamation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's the proclamation? Four parts, classically defined. So the goodness of creation, um, sin, and its consequences, uh, God's response to our sin, and then our response to what God has done. Well, I, don't, mm. I don't know about you, that doesn't overwhelm me. That's what John no. Paul said is supposed to happen, that doesn't overwhelm me. Um, so when we teach about it, we say, well, there's a couple other ways to think about this. Um, the first way, well, let's ask some questions, a question for each part. And the questions are deep. The first question is, why is there something rather than nothing? Mm. And that's a huge question. Like, why do you exist? Why does anything exist? Um, Second question, why is everything so obviously messed up? Because it's messed up. Why do people die of cancer? Why do children get abused? Why do do car accidents happen? Why do tsunamis happen? Why? Why Why does this stuff happen? Why is there Auschwitz? Yeah. Um, third question, what if anything has got done about it? And then the fourth question is, if he has, how should I respond to it? That's mm-hmm. still a mouthful. It can be hard to remember. So we break it up into four words. Created, captured, rescued, and response. And here's how I would say it if you were coming into my office, because nobody calls a priest and goes, hey, my life is going really well. And I just wondered if you had some time and we could talk about that. Like, That's right. Nobody says that to a priest. Everybody's calling me to go, like, my life's a mess, right? So sure. So I've learned um, when someone comes in, I have to I have to share some things with you first. So somebody comes to see me and I'll say, why are you here? And mm-hmm. they'll say what, they, what they're looking for. And I'll say, 
I've learned, I have to say this, before I answer that, can I just, and I'll have these with me, can I tell you how I see the world? Because mm-hmm. if you don't understand how I see the world, nothing's I'm, nothing I'm about to say is going to make sense. Sure. And if you say no, I got some free time. And if you say yes, then I'll share this. And so I had a woman come see me. She was um, like 26 or seven years old. Probably the most beautiful woman I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was stunning. And I asked her, why are you here? She told me. So she made a boatload of money. She was very successful, very attractive, and her life was a wreck. Mm. And so I asked her that question. Can I tell you how I see the world? She goes, yeah. So I said, well, I'm going to ask you this in four questions. Um, So why is there something rather than nothing? I said, the biblical answer to that, the way I see the world, is because God, out of his goodness, he just willed everything into being. He made it effortlessly without any reason other than love and the highlight of everything he made the creature he most loves is you and he made you and he made me to share in his own abundant life for all eternity that's the answer to the question why do you exist why does anything exist right and the universe is 46 billion light years across that's 46 yeah. billion times 5.88 trillion miles and in this world that he made this universe that he made his eye is on you more than any other creature but of course that's not enough because you wouldn't be seeing me right now if that was the end of the story. Your life's a mess. So what the hell happened? Yeah. If God's so good and he's so powerful, how come you're sitting down with me right now? Or the biblical answer to that question is because one of the creatures that God made who was good because God only makes good went to war against one of the creatures that God had made because he was envious of them. And the creature that he was envious of was you. Mm. And so what he did is at the very beginning of our race, he tricked our first parents. He deceived us into selling ourselves into slavery to powers that we can't compete against. And I know that sounds like a really bold claim to you maybe, but I can prove it, I think. The first power is death. Mm. It's the only thing that you and I know is gonna happen. I buried my mom, my dad, my brother in two years. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. And you know it. And you know you can't stop it. The other power is sin, which you may or may not even think about. But I think I can prove that too. Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever, don't answer this. Let me just ask you the question. Have you ever done anything that you didn't want to do, that you knew you shouldn't do, that you hated doing, and you did it anyway? And she looks at me, she's like, you ever wonder why? And the answer is because you're enslaved to sin. You can't get out on your own. Mm. Third question, what, if anything, has got done about that? So that's why you're here. You're mess- your life's a mess because you have an enemy. You've been captured. It's like being in the hands of a trafficker. So what, mm. if anything, has got done about it? Here's what God did about it. God became a man, he landed in disguise, is how C.S. Lewis puts it, so as to reclaim what is rightfully his. And God didn't become a man to tell stories, and he didn't become a man to do miracles. God became a man to go to war for you, Mm. to rescue you. So just like the Allies landed at D-Day, God landed in the womb of the Virgin Mary for one purpose, to destroy the works of the devil 
to bind the strong man, to rescue you from the power of death, to rescue you from the power of sin. Death will still happen to you, but it can't hold you anymore. And he did this in the most creative way imaginable. He did it by hiding himself as a man so that he would entice Satan to get close to him so that he could mm. engage in a combat with him because Satan's not wise, but he's not stupid. And he would never fight God because he knows he can't defeat God. Mm. And what Jesus is doing on the cross is he's showing me the father's love and he's making atonement for me, but he's going to war for me. And when he dies, that's the whole point. What he's trying to do is get into hell so that he can destroy it from inside. Mm. That's what he was doing on the cross on Good Friday. And he did it because you matter. Yeah. You're worth so much to God that you're worth dying for. And so I asked her, I said, so what do you think is the reasonable, intelligent, logical response to a God who made a universe that's 46 billion light years across, who hid himself as a man, became a man, to rescue you from your worst nightmare, isn't it to give him everything and to trust him? I got done with that. It took me that long. I got sure. done with that. She's bawling her eyes out. She says two things to me. She says, that's not the God I knew growing up. Mm. And then she says, why has no one ever told me that? Yeah. So the whole point of, our, you know, the, 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 the first prong of the attack in our ministry is to tell the story, to preach the story. And mm. the beauty of what Paul says in Romans, right, or what God says through Paul is, it's not the herald that's power. It's the story. The gospel's yeah. power. All we got to do is open our mouths. And, and what we're trying to do in the book, the purpose of the book is, to try to give people um, first to break it open for them. And then second, by, you know, whether it's the four questions or four words, once you understand what's behind them, find an easy way to remember that so you can share it with people because it's power. And, and in mm -hmm. the culture that we're living in right now, where there's so much anxiety, so much fear, so much division, so much depression, the only remedy is the gospel because the Amen. remedy is Jesus. Amen. I'll tell you what, one of the things I love about you, Father, is you've got, you just have such a flair to make this stuff come alive. And I mean that in the most, you know, um, um, in, in the best way possible. Like, I remember looking at rerouting and, and some of the things you did in your parish and the videos of that, for those that don't know, it was a program that Father put together at, at, at uh, his parish in Detroit. It's a very great program if you, if you, I suggest going through it if it's still out there and available uh, somewhere, Father. But I loved how you Somewhere showed, on YouTube, you can find it. Yeah, sure. Um, I remember seeing, you know, the scenes from Saving Private Ryan and and all these uh, was it Hacksaw Ridge and all these things where you've used just you know beautiful images and things to make this stuff make sense to people. Because I think one of the biggest problems is we read the Bible and we read it as black words on a white page, right? It's a story like any other book. It's something that you read. You know, that was nice and put down, um, and we don't personalize it enough. You know, you see all the signs at sporting events, John three sixteen. you know, you see it under the eye black, but it's always as if we read that as for God so loved someone else, but me, 
that he saved right. the world, you know, instead of right. me, John or, or father. And, and what I see right. you doing is you're introducing person, people into that personal relationship again, that like, this was for you, like take everyone out, not in an uncharitable way, but God would have done this if it was only you. Right. And it's so powerful. Father, I think that's what's why I feel like every time you tell what you've told what you said a minute ago, and you and I've talked several times, I mean, I still get the chill bumps. When I hear that, and, and I know the story, but to hear the way that you recount it, the way you tell it, it's just, it's almost the same reason that you see people go into these Marvel movies and all these big cinematic oh, things yeah. is, is, is because you're telling it in a way that's just so engaging and, 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 and people want to see that laid out in that way. And it's in your passion, the passion that you have behind it. That's the other thing I think that's missing a lot when we're trying to evangelize people is where's our passion. Well, thanks. I mean, that's a gift from God. So pray to keep using it well. And, and sure. you, you, you mentioned the Marvel stories. I mean, that's I use that all the time, actually, with people. I mean, people are people flock to that. When, when COVID first started, I was amazed at how many families would tell me, like, yeah, we just set aside like nine nights and we watched all the Marvel stories. Sure. You know? <laughs> Why? Because we're we're made for drama. Mm-hmm. We love drama. We love good versus evil. It's like hardwired into us. And I want to know the good guys win. Yeah. And I want to know, like, wouldn't it be something if life really was momentous and it had profound meaning and that I had a significant role to play in it? Mm-hmm. And the gospel is so much better than Marvel Comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we just don't tell it well. That's right. But the, the And you're in it like you're a lead. You're a lead character in it. Right. You're just not getting any money. <laughs> Um, but it's amazing. I mean, you know, like this is this is what yeah. our lives are about, and, and and especially as men, right? So we use so so. What is the response, right? What, what do you mm-hmm. res- how do you respond to God? So we, this is how we've come to talk about it. I mean, the response is to surrender. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the logical response. But then what? What am I supposed to do until Jesus comes back and He makes everything right? And we we say there's five words, mm-hmm. and three of the words are um, Peace Corps words. Okay. And two of the words are Marine Corps words. Okay. So Jesus on the Easter Sunday, what did he do? He began the recreation of the universe. Hmm. That's what happened. It wasn't like God showing off going, look what I could do in your life if I wanted to, but I don't, right? No, it's the beginning of the recreation. Our task now, first Peace Corps word, until he comes back, is to be an agent of recreation in his hands. Hmm. So Jesus says in the gospel, no one lights a lamp and puts it underneath a basket. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's stupid. That's why. <laughs> right? So sure. nobody would do that. I mean, you don't turn on lights and then cover them with duct tape. You know? Um, <laughs> sure. You, you turn on lights so people can see. The the word that he uses there, it's uh, it's like one of these. This is this is kind of the 19th century England version of it. But okay. it's, a, sure. it's a hand lamp. Okay? So mm-hmm. it's a... In ancient times, it would be made out of clay. They put oil in it. It's called a lichnos in, in Greek. Mm-hmm. So who's the lamp? You are. I am. Who's the hand that picks it up? Jesus. Mm-hmm. What's the stand that he puts it on? Wherever you are at that moment. Mm-hmm. And the house that it's supposed to shine in is the world, right? So the first thing I'm supposed to do every single day is just say, okay, Lord, whether I'm an engineer, I'm a farmer, I'm a stay-at-home dad, I'm a football coach, whatever it is, use me, bring me into this environment as an agent of recreation. 
Help mm-hmm. me to do what I can to take it back into harmony with how the Father created it to be. Second piece, score word. Transformation. Similar kind of thing, right? Sure. Um, third piece, score word. Healing. So to be an agent of healing. Jesus says in the gospel, into whatever town you enter, you know, eat what's set before you, preach the gospel, heal the sick in it. That applies mm-hmm. to you and me. Like, Amen. We're surrounded by people who are wounded, emotionally physically spiritually i'm supposed to be a salve to try to heal them right uh but the marine corps words are the ones i love yeah um so the marine corps words are uh, i'm supposed to be a a member of the resistance so jesus said or peter says in uh, his first letter you know your your opponent the devil prowls like a roaring lion resist him right which doesn't just mean don't give in to temptation it means resist him like Go against him, work against him. It's like the French resistance, right? Um, mm-hmm. The French resistance was doing everything they could to destroy the works of Nazi Germany. And um, again, the enemy is not somebody out there. Sure. Um, the enemy is the devil. That's the enemy. And we want to try to do everything we can to dismantle his kingdom. And then the other word is um, an agent of sabotage. <laughs> So C.S. Yeah. Lewis says uh, in Mere Christianity, the story of Christianity is the story of how the rightful king is landed in disguise and calls us all to embark on a great campaign of sabotage. And if I was a 15-year-old boy and heard that, man, I would have enlisted in a heartbeat. And I think sure. most men, we have, we have this image of Jesus as men, that he's kind and he's gentle and he loves children and he plays with bunnies and and he's merciful i mean so he is kind he is gentle he does love children but he's so much more jesus is absolutely unconquerable right and he defeated the devil in what looked like defeat but he did it so that he could hide to get into hell so as to destroy his power and when a man grasps that jesus is lord and that that is not the conclusion of a prayer it's a reality yeah i'm in I'm in. You're right. I always love that image that you give of the ambush predator. Uh, That was one of those things in that first video I saw when you were telling this. um, You know, I I think it. You you were getting ready to move in, or the Lord was moving you towards Acts 29. But I remember seeing this specific 50 minute long video, and a friend sent it to me and said, "You got to watch this." And so uh, you know, you went through the whole the universe thing in the very beginning, and then through where we've gone right now. But the part that got me, like where my, I picked my jaw up off the floor, was the whole ambush predator thing. Because, like I said, I was born and raised Baptist, eighteen years of my life, read the Bible five times by the time I was, you know, fifteen, and could quote scripture all day. And when I heard that, I went, "Oh my gosh!" Like I can recite to you the things that have happened, but now I see the why, like the why behind it, and and why did Jesus? Because we all have that question, right? He's God. Why didn't he snap his fingers and make everything right? Why don't he just do that instead of all the things that he went through? And when you explain it in that way of that ambush predator to draw him near, uh, and then, and then the, the binding of the strong man, the other piece you talk about in that verse, um, a lot of people I know when you read that, when they read that, they misunderstand that they don't know who who's being bound. Who's doing this. Is it Satan binding us on the earth? Is it, what is it, you know, is it God doing something? And so you, you've really illustrated that in a way that again, makes this so, engaging like it it just it becomes more than just a story right it becomes reality 
And you're so right. When I, I see men all the time that listen to the show and that I work with, when they are introduced to the person of Jesus Christ and they meet him, like truly meet him, their life changes when they understand right. what you're talking about. Um, you know, there, there's so many, so many guys that I've seen that just, I, I know of Christ. I know of him. I can give you a list of, of his accomplishments, right? But I don't actually know him. And I think this is, you're driving people back into that, just yearning for people to come to know someone that loves you so much that you, you can't possibly ever understand it, right? And, and, and when you have met that person, there is no going back. Like there is no going back. There's falling, there's tripping, there's stepping in snares and things like that. You know, we're all going to thank, thank goodness for the sacrament of reconciliation, you know, but, but gosh, I mean, when you truly come to to meet him in the way that he desires to know each and every one of us, there's no going back. And, and, and father, I just, man, I am so happy for you and for what you're doing. And just, gosh, I, to know that there's priests out there that are that are going to understand this the way that you do because of the gifts that you guys have teaching it just gives such great hope in a time where you look around the world right now. I mean, just look at the United States and all the, the hate and the political stuff and the racism stuff and all of this in the world. I couldn't agree with you more that, that what a powerful time it is to bring this message. Yeah, and you know, I, I think especially given what's going on in the culture and the country, right? The reason why this is so important mm-hmm. is because there there is so much division, there's so much hatred, there's so much uh, fear and suspicion, right? And the church, which is to say, you and me, right, mm-hmm. believers, we're supposed to be playing a prophetic role right now, yeah. because um, the only way real unity can happen is through Jesus. Because the, mm-hmm. you know, what's the key to problem solving? I have to define the problem. Yeah. And the problem is the human heart. And only God can fix that. Yeah. Right? My heart first, and then yours and everybody else's. And the church knows, like nobody knows, that what God does best is take people who used to hate each other and make it so that they don't just tolerate each other. They call each other brother and sister and they lay down their lives for each other. So much yeah. so that the the accusation against Paul in uh, the Acts of the Apostles is this man is turning the world upside down. And we need to do it again. Yeah. Pe- people should walk into Catholic churches and all our churches, they should see in the church radical diversity and real unity. Yeah. Here, here's finally people who love each other, who have nothing in common, except they know they owe everything to God and what he's done for us in Jesus. And that's so attractive when you see it. Mm-hmm. But um, people aren't seeing it right now. There was a guy who used to do ministry in um, Spain, and uh, he was an atheist, became a disciple. And then was working in the slums in Madrid. And the slums were filled with prostitutes and drug addicts and um, pimps and gang lords and rival gangs and whatnot. And he's seeing massive conversions. It was awesome. And the cardinal yeah. of Spain, uh, Madrid, called him in and says, what are you doing? Like, how are you doing this? And he says, I have come to be convinced that people need signs of faith that don't require faith. In other words, 
things that people, when they see them, even though they don't believe, when they see them, they know only God could make that happen. Yeah. And he says the two biggest signs of faith are forgiveness and real unity. The world doesn't know how to forgive. Yeah. That's why we cancel everybody, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, and they don't have they don't know what real unity is. They can't handle genuine diversity. Um and so when people really become brothers and sisters and really begin to love each other, which is not to tolerate each other, um, amazing things happen. And we need to be yeah. the model of that in the world right now. Amen. Amen. You, that's, I mean, you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. And that's what it means, right? Mm -hmm. I can love not with my own heart. I can't do this all on my own, but with God by by coming to know him, by, by loving the way that he loves. I mean, we obviously we can't love as perfectly as God, but we can strive to be that beacon yeah. that it, it flows through. And I got to tell you, I mean, there there's, it's the everyday acts, you know, we talked about the Marvel movies earlier and I remember going to see Endgame with my son, Jacob. And he told me to tell you how, by the way, but uh, he's, he's 11, going to be 12 in October. And I, and I remember sitting in that movie theater and it being packed. It's an IMAX movie. You know the in the end scene comes where Thanos and the basically the original three are and and Captain America's you know fighting him one on one and looks like he's about to get killed. Eventually, we know what happened with Iron Man. But I remember several times in that scene, like when 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 Thanos was sitting there whacking at Captain America's shield, this this sign of you know strength and purity and morality and all this stuff, this unbreakable item, and it cracks and Captain America still gets up bleeding and. And, and and just gives him that look like I can do this all day, like he said in all these movies, right? He's gonna he's gonna give himself up for all of these other people. There's all these spaceships behind him. There's no way he could win, you know. But he gets up, and that movie theater father went nuts. They started screaming, "Yeah, lay down your life! Yeah, do this, do that!" Now, eventually, we know that that it was it was Iron Man that wound up laying his life down, but. I mean, it was so loud. My son's popcorn dumped out of his lap. It scared him. You know, he just, it was pen, pen silence to that noise. My point is we, inside of us all, to your point earlier, we, we, we have this desire for this good, to live this life of virtue, to live what God's calling us. And the funny thing to me is how many times have we been in a mass where someone, a priest stands up and reads the gospel and says, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for one's friends. It's the same message, nowhere near as good as the message as you said that Christ gives each and every one of us. It's that call to that virtue, to living, walking that narrow road, to living that that hard life. And that is, Father, where we find true joy. It's so, yep. I lived, as you know, I had an addiction for 17 years. We've talked about that, and so have the listeners. Um, and I always searched, and the reason I found up, I wound up in that is because I was trying to make my own self happy. I was trying to manufacture my own joy, all of these things. And when God put me in a cell and pulled me out of there, he showed me that the way to live is the way you're talking about, is the way to live and love others. And that's where you yeah. find true joy in the sacrifice. doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't seem logically to make sense, but biblically right. it makes perfect sense. Amen. And Father, I, again, I thank you. I know we've been, we've been on here for a while now, and I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing this because I think so many people need to hear it the way that God is uniquely allowing you and your team at Acts 29 to share this. I, you know, I really Thanks. think there's going to be a lot of hearts changed. So would you tell us um, just for, you know, for a few minutes about how they can help, how people here that are listening, if they want to support the ministry, if they want to learn more about it, where do they go and how do they help? 
website is uh, Acts 29. So A-C-T-S, and then it's in Roman numerals, xxix.org. Um, so uh, the biggest way you can help is to pray. Okay. Um, and if people feel led to want to support us in any other way, that'd be great. We, uh, we're a 501c3, so... Okay. Um, so we, what we, what do we do is we do mission work with bishops and priests. We bring priests on retreat. Maybe you've noticed there's kind of a crisis in the priesthood and the crisis isn't the scandal. The crisis is guys are just exhausted. They're burned out. They're lonely. They're isolated. I mean, they're, they're in trauma. I mean, I, I was a pastor for 15 years and, um, when I left that went to this, I realized, holy cow, I'm in PTSD. I mean, I just lived in trauma all day long and nobody knows that because we don't talk about it. Because uh, we're men and we don't, nobody asks, or if they ask, like, what sure. am I going to tell you? So um, we don't charge for anything that we do. So we're totally donor funded. So if people feel led to want to support us, that'd be beautiful. And uh, but yeah. we certainly want prayers. And then we, because yeah. we want to give everything away, like you sure. know, freely we have received, freely we freely give. We give. We just yeah. want to give everything away. So. Uh, you know, we, we try to make a podcast every week. We make some videos and then we, we travel to different dioceses and bring all their clergy on retreat and pour into them, try to share with them some of the principles for transformation that we feel like God has shared with us. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Grateful thank you for, yeah, thank you for everything you're doing. You know, I'll be praying for you as well as the city of Memphis here. You're very beloved here. You've met a lot of people here. I love the city of Memphis. Enjoy Can't wait it. to come back. Yeah, well, I can't wait for you to come back either. But, Father, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for everything you're doing in the church. Uh, It's an inspiration. And I wonder if you would just give us a blessing on the way out here as we leave this interview. Absolutely, yeah. Through the intercession of uh, all of our patron saints and all our guardian angels, especially as we draw close to Holy Week uh, and gaze anew on all that Jesus has accomplished for us by his death and resurrection, may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit descend upon you and all those that you love. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. We'll be keeping an eye on what you're doing. And and uh, just thank you again for joining us. What a pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, bro. All right.